Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of CityWalk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with CityWalk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search CityWalk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good evening. If you're watching online, we're so glad that you're here. Today we had coffee for the first time. Man, we had like no coffee for kind of the whole COVID season. And so today we we added that back. So I expect like more interaction than ever. Uh, Come on. Uh, and if you're online, I, I'm listening. I'm, I'm pretending that you're interactive as well. Uh, but it's good to be with you guys. Last week, right after I got done at church, uh, actually not right after, but just a few hours after, I went to the airport and I flew to LA uh, for, for just a one-day thing to meet with some church planners uh, down in that area. And if you know me, and I annoy my family because of this, and maybe you annoy your family for the same reason. I am a person who, in, in most cases, is a glass-half-full person. Like, I see the best, and I assume the best, but when I travel and I'm trying to get somewhere on time, I'm the opposite. Like, I assume the worst thing's going to happen. Uh, I assume the worst. I don't want any surprises. So I, I even tell my wife, just assume the worst. Assume we're going to get in a wreck. Assume there's going to be a two-hour traffic jam. Like, let's get there early. So I'm the guy that's usually all by himself sitting at the gate, welcoming all the other passengers uh, as they come 45 minutes after I got there. Uh, and, and maybe you're like that too. Uh, and, and surprises in, in most cases in life, man, there's a lot of great places where we love to get surprised. Car trouble and late flights and missing flights isn't one of those areas that probably any of us like to be surprised in, for sure. Uh, and, and, and so as you think about your own life, and maybe you're that type of person, you can think probably... Whether you're a person of faith, whether you're a person that is investigating faith, whether you're uh, someone that's been following Jesus for a long time, it really doesn't matter in this area. All of us have been affected by huge surprises in our life. And, And some of those surprises were good. Like you were the person that nobody could ever do a surprise birthday party for, and then they finally got you and, and you got surprised. Or, or you, you got called into the boss's office and man, you, you thought you were in trouble and you actually got a raise. And, and man, that was a really good surprise that affected your life. You, you might have come home and, and you got a phone call from your son or daughter or they, you, were, you were watching something on Facebook and they announced that they're having your first grandchild. And that was a really good surprise for you. And we've all had different areas of our life where we've gotten surprised and we've been so thankful for that. But probably just as many kind of surprises as we've had that have affected us for good, for some of us, man, we've had some surprises that they they were tougher surprises. They were were unexpected and they they didn't really affect our life for good. We, We didn't see the end of that first marriage coming the way it did. And man, that took us by surprise 
the, the diagnosis we got at the doctor when we, we didn't know what was going on, and, but we got this diagnosis that, that we, man, we were not expecting this diagnosis, and, and it was a surprise to us. Maybe you were surprised by, you, you walked into the office and you thought you were going to get a raise and you were given a pink slip because, man, business hadn't been as good and so you lost your job and that was a surprise. And, and we all know this, surprises affect our life, but really what affects our life is not just the surprise, but our reaction, our response to that surprise. And over the last 2,000 years, one of the surprises that people have had to grapple with for literally centuries is Jesus. They've had to grapple with Jesus and they've had to grapple with what their response to this surprising person in history is. See, Jesus, when he walked the earth, and, and if you've read through any of the, the Gospels or you've read through any of his, kind of his life that, that the Gospels give us, you, you find out that when Jesus walked the earth from the very beginning, he did things that were unexpected and very surprising. See, see Jesus, he, he didn't treat people the way other religious leaders talk, kind of uh, taught people. They, he, he didn't treat them the way that other people treated them. He taught in a way that other people didn't teach. He didn't play the authority card the way other leaders played the authority card. In fact, he used the avenue of serving as his way to impact people. And he took people by surprise. He didn't fit the part of what a religious leader, somebody that was here to, to bring in a kingdom, he didn't fit the part. And so people have had to grapple with, all the way back to 2,000 years ago when he walked this earth, they've had to grapple with their response to this person named Jesus and how he came to earth. And there was this guy named Mark who walked the earth and was kind of in the same circles that Jesus was in while he was here and while Jesus walked the earth. And, and, and Mark wrote an actual account of Jesus' life. And Mark was a guy, and you'll see as we, we walk through this this summer, Mark was a guy that, man, he didn't talk a lot about what Jesus said. He talked a lot about what Jesus did. He, he was a guy that, that put a lot of emphasis on Jesus' actions more than other writers. And a few things that you'll want to know about this, this writing that Mark did is Mark wrote this to basically Gentile and Roman. He was writing to Romans, to Gentiles. He wrote it between 50 and 60, the years 50 and 60. And, and here's what's interesting about what Mark was writing. He was writing to Romans. He was writing to Gentiles. And so you don't see Mark talk about the Old Testament as much as the other writers in the scriptures did because he wasn't writing to Jewish people. He was writing this, this account of Jesus's life and really emphasizing what Jesus did. And he was writing to people who hadn't grown up in a religious Jewish system like a lot of the other writers of the scripture did. And another thing that's really interesting, and you can see this in, in how Mark writes, Mark got most of his information from a guy by the name of Peter. And in fact, we think that, man, this, this book of the Bible could actually be called Peter because Mark got all of the information that he wrote 
from Peter. And so as you read through the book of Mark, you're going to see details about Peter's life that no other writer writes about. Uh, but there's, there's some things about Peter's life that you, you don't see anywhere else. And, and good for Peter because in this story that we're going to read, it highlights a lot of Peter's downfalls. And it doesn't talk about a lot of the things that Peter did that were great that the other writers wrote about. And so you have this, this book, you have this letter, this account of, of Jesus's life that Mark writes. And, and he's a guy that writes a lot about action. He writes a lot about what Jesus did. In fact, in his, his, his writing, he uses the word immediately 40 times, man. He is like a go-getter type of person. And if you had to pick a key verse in this entire account that Mark wrote, it would be Mark 10, 45, and it simply says this, for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Mark, as he, he begins to write this account and he and Peter are sitting down and, and Peter telling him about all the things that happened because Peter was kind of in the inner circle. And Peter and Mark are both the kind of guys that, man, they don't make a lot of small talk. They want to get right to the point. And so you see it in the writing. And throughout this summer, we're going to walk through and kind of look at Jesus through the eyes of Mark and Peter. And here's what I want to encourage you to do. Whether you're somebody that's been following Jesus for a long time, whether you're somebody that's investigating faith, maybe you grew up in the church and kind of got hurt by the church and kind of walked away for a season. No matter where you're at, I want to ask you to do something this summer as we look at Jesus through the eyes of Mark, through the eyes of Peter. I want to ask you, would you be willing to lean in and take a fresh look at Jesus? Would you be, no matter what religious background you have, no matter if you've been hurt by the church, no matter if you've been hurt by people that say they're followers of Jesus, no matter if you've been following Jesus faithfully for 40 years, would you be willing to lean in and take a fresh look at Jesus? And here's what I think will probably happen. You'll be surprised. You may be surprised at what you find, and you, like people over the last 2,000 years, will have to decide, how am I going to respond to the surprise that is Jesus? Mark, he starts his gospel, and, and like I told you, he's a guy that gets right to the point. And so Mark, he starts his, his account this way, and, and, and it'll be up on the screen. It says this in verse 1, he says, this is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. All right, Mark, he gets right. If you look at some of the other writers, they like tell you about Jesus's birth. They tell you about Jesus's family genealogy. Mark's like, skip all that. I'm, I'm writing to Romans and he says, let me just get right to the point. He says, this is good news. I'm about to tell you some really good news about Jesus, who is the Messiah, the son of God. Peter's probably sitting down with him drinking coffee. I don't know what they did back then. They're at a Starbucks. He's like, just skip all that genealogy stuff. We'll let Matthew and Luke take care of all that kind of boring stuff anyway. Let's just get right to the point. And so he does. He gets right to the point. 
And after he kind of gets right to the point and says, hey, man, Jesus, he's the Messiah. He's the son of God. Then what he does is he says, let me introduce you to some kind of a character by the name of John the Baptist. And over the next few verses, he talks about this cat called John the Baptist, who is, he's kind of like the opening act for Jesus. If you've ever been at a concert and man, you came to see a certain person, but you oh yeah, so-and-so's got to come out for 30 minutes first. And yeah, he's pretty good too. But we really want to see that like the main act. Well, John the Baptist was kind of the opening act for Jesus. And, and John made it clear from the beginning, man, he had thousands of people following him. But he said, hey, I, I get it. You, you think I'm important, but somebody's coming. The guy I'm kind of introducing to you, somebody's coming that's way bigger than me, a much bigger deal than me. Just, just wait, he's coming. And then all of a sudden, one day, and Mark talks about this, while John's interacting with different people, and he's, he's talking about this act that's coming after him, this Jesus, this Messiah. He sees Jesus in the crowd, and Jesus comes down and says, John, hey, would you baptize me? Imagine being John, like, dude, really? You want me to baptize you? Shouldn't it be a little different? But Jesus said, no, 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 I want you to baptize me. I want you to baptize me. And by me being baptized, what I'm telling the world is what you're saying is true. I'm identifying with what you're saying, John, that the Messiah is here. And so he's baptized. And right after Jesus' baptism, Jesus, he he takes off on like a 40-day time in the wilderness where he fasts for 40 days. It's like, man, that, that in itself, like, wow. He gets baptized, like glory, hallelujah, great day. And then Jesus takes off and he's in the wilderness for 40 days. And he's fasting and he's praying and he's interacting with God. And then at the end of that 40 days, it's as if there's a transition between John's ministry of introducing Jesus is now over. And Jesus comes on the scene and he begins to take the reins and move things forward. And and Mark picks up with that in verse 16. It says this. One day as Jesus was walking along the shore of the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon, whose name is Peter, and his brother Andrew throwing a net into the water for they fished for a living. And so Jesus, he's, he's, he's back from the wilderness. He's been baptized. John the Baptist has actually now been arrested, and he's, he's off the scene. And, and now Jesus is beginning his ministry. And so Jesus is walking by the Sea of Galilee. And I think we have a picture of the Sea of Galilee. The Sea of Galilee is, is this little, it's not really little, it's about 13 miles long and about seven miles wide. And it, it sits right here, and then down here is the Dead Sea, and then the Jordan River is in between. And so Jesus is kind of going to the beach. He's, he's out. He's back from the wilderness. He can eat now. I mean, life's good. And he's kind of walking along the sea, and he sees a couple guys that he knows. They know, they know each other. This is kind of a small town. And so he sees Andrew, and he sees Simon, and they're... They fish for a living, and and they had kind of followed John the Baptist a little bit, but now because John's in prison, they kind of just went back to what they did for a living. And so that's what they're doing. They're they're fishing, and, and, and it says this in verse 17. Jesus called out to them, come follow me, 
and I will show you how to fish for people. Excuse me, Jesus? They're in their you know, nets, casting their nets, getting fish. And Jesus, this guy they, they recognize, comes and he says, Hey, guys, hey, put down your nets and come follow me. And I'm going to show you how to not fish for fish, but I'm going to show you how to fish for people. And what Jesus was calling them to, because these guys were, were probably not anti-Jesus at this point, but he was calling them to something bigger. Jesus called them to something bigger. He basically, he asked them to abandon their way of life and follow him in his rescue mission to seek and to save the lost. And honestly, it wasn't abnormal for a group of people to follow a rabbi or a teacher. That wasn't abnormal. That happened all the time. But what was extremely different, radical, and abnormal was the teacher went and sought out the student. That never happened. Yeah, you, you could follow a teacher. You could follow a rabbi. But it was, it, the, the teacher would never come and ask you to follow. But, but Jesus, as he sees Simon, who's Peter, and he sees Andrew, he says, Hey, guys, put down your nets. Come follow me. Come be a part of, of what I'm doing. He was inviting them to be his disciples And then it says this in verse 18, and they left their nets, their old way of life. They left their nets at once and followed him. And so now you got Andrew and you got Peter and Jesus, and they're kind of walking along the Sea of Galilee. And it says this, a little farther up the shore, Jesus saw Zebedee's sons, James and John, in a boat repairing their nets. James and John were also probably friends of Jesus. They may have actually been cousins of Jesus, so they knew who Jesus was. And Jesus, he kind of comes up near them where they're working. They're working for their dad, who's named Zebedee. He's a successful businessman, and, and, and he says this to them. He called them at once, and they also followed him, leaving their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men. And, and here's what Mark, he's, he's emphasizing this simple, clear call that Jesus gave and this radical response by these followers, these new followers, this radical immediate. It, it almost seems like, man, when he said, come, they just literally dropped their nets and like, see you later, dad, we're following Jesus. And they weren't just following Jesus for a day. They understood that, man, they were following Jesus as his disciple. They were all in. I mean, who who does this? I mean, really, who does this? What leader is bold enough to ask someone to leave their comfort zone, to leave what has made them successful, and to join in, in their mission? And what person... What individual is crazy enough to listen and literally drop everything and follow immediately? But that's what they did. I remember when we uh, were praying about moving out here to start City Walk. And we had felt kind of God pressing on our hearts to do that. And for us, it was such a radical idea. Like, why would we move across the country when we're involved in a a great church in Florida. We have two teenage kids. We have a little kind of preschooler. We're like, life's good. 
we're good. And I remember when we, when we first started to feel this, this angst for moving out here and starting a church, we, we took a few initial steps and started to pray. And, and honestly, we're begging God to let us off the hook. Like, Lord, any time in this process, just let us off the hook. To have somebody tell us we're not qualified or just do something. And, and what happened was, as we began to listen to God and we began to spend time in his word and we began to get on his agenda, what started as radical became obvious. What started is, oh man, this is a crazy idea, became, if we don't do this, we're sinning and we're missing God's best for our life. And I can only imagine that those guys, as they're fishing and they're, they're hanging onto their nets and they're, they're, they're kind of just doing life, they're doing what's normal, and it's, they're not bad guys, they're probably successful at what they're doing, and, and Jesus comes along and, and says, hey guys, drop everything you're doing and follow me. And we look at that and think, that's so radical, why would you do that? But to them it was just obvious, because they had watched and they had been listening, and they thought, man, this we have to do this. We can't say no to this. And so they did. They, they followed Jesus. They took hold of his mission and they made it hit their own. And so now you have, you have James and you have John. You have Andrew, you have Peter, you have Jesus. And, and they're kind of walking, just kind of starting this thing. And it says this in verse 21. Jesus and his companions went to the town of Capernaum. When the Sabbath day came, he went into the synagogue and began to teach. So basically, it's, hey guys, we're going to church. Sabbath day, we're just going to go to church. So they did. They went to where church was. They went to the synagogue. And, and Jesus was, hey, he was one of the speakers for the day. He was going to be one of the teachers. And so nothing abnormal about this. Jesus and his few guys, his, his buddies, his followers, they go into the synagogue. And Jesus begins to teach. Okay. That's normal. I mean, they had teachers in the synagogue all the time. Verse 22 says this. The people were amazed at his teaching. For he taught with a real authority, quite unlike the teachers of religious law. See, they were used to people coming in and having teachers. But here's what would happen. The rabbis of that day would basically use other rabbis' teaching... And they would basically reteach other rabbis' teaching, and they would use other rabbis' teaching to really show that what they were saying was true and powerful. But Jesus was different. He, he didn't use other rabbis' teaching. He, he, didn't, he had fresh things to say. And, and so as Jesus began to teach, he taught with such clarity and power. And as people began to listen, and they, they just noticed there's something different about what this guy's saying. There's, there's an authority, there's a per, this is more personal, this is unlike the other teachers. And then verse 23, it says this, Suddenly a man in the synagogue who was possessed by an evil spirit, basically a demon, cried out. I mean, this is like awkward and distracting. So we had a little music go while I was speaking, which that was all planned, Asher. We had that worked out, that was part of the plan. But, but can you imagine? Like we're just hanging out. We're somebody's up there here teaching. And all of a sudden a demon possessed person just gets up, starts screaming, running up and down. 
it'll be a little awkward in here. Like we'd all be like, ah, I'm not really sure what we're supposed to do with that. Uh, it, it would be a little, and so this is what's happening. Jesus is teaching, and, and man, he's teaching with power and authority, and people are leaning in, and then all of a sudden, this guy gets up, and he's crazy, and he's loud, and it's awkward, and it says this. This is the, the person who has the demon says this, why are you interfering with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? See, Jesus was the ultimate threat to the kingdom of darkness. And then this is so interesting. It says, this is that person talking who's demon-possessed. He says this, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. See, the demon understood better probably than even his followers who Jesus really was and how powerful he was. The demon knew that, man, this Jesus is the Son of God. He's the Messiah. He's all-powerful. He knew who he was dealing with. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus reprimanded him, be quiet, which is interesting. It's the same thing Jesus said to the storm when he calmed the storm. Be quiet. The storm calmed, demon-possessed guy, hush, just be quiet. And, and, and look what happens. He says, be quiet and come out of the man. He ordered Jesus. He has the authority to silence this guy and direct the demon. And it says this in verse 26, at that, the evil spirit screamed threw the man into a convulsion and then came out of him. Basically, the demon obeyed Jesus amazement gripped the audience. That's like the understatement of the world. Like, man, you talk about a visual for the, for the people at church. Man, you start casting out a demon right in front of people. Like, people are like, all right, I'll listen. What, you, what else you got to say? I mean, people are amazed. This guy, he's a great teacher. He has some great authority. But now he just took it to a whole nother level. He just, when we saw this demon-possessed guy, the demon knew exactly who he was, and Jesus commanded the demon, and the demon obeyed him. And so people, man, they are leaning in. It says, amazed, gripped the audience, and they began to discuss what had happened. What sort of new teaching is this, they ask excitedly. It has such authority. Even the evil spirits obey his orders. Man, this is, this is new. This is something different we've never seen. This type of power in someone's life and teaching, we've never seen this. And it says this in verse 28, the news about Jesus spread quickly through the entire region of Galilee. I mean, this is no social media. This is no, none of that, man. And there's no like news outlets. But yet, man, the word began to spread. And as you read through Mark and as you see Jesus in Mark, you see, man, he could barely go anywhere without just people being everywhere because people were leaning in. Who is this guy? What is he saying? This is different than what we've ever experienced. See, Jesus surprised people. He treated people different than other people that were religious. He hung out with people that others didn't hang out with. 
He taught with an authority and, and, and a truth and, a, and, and, and made it so personal yet direct. He taught in a way they had not seen. And he had this power that even the, the demons, they, they knelt, they bowed, they obeyed. This was something new and it was surprising. And throughout Jesus' life, and you'll see it all through the book of Mark, people had to grapple with who is this Jesus and what is my response going to be because he's surprising. Whether you're a person who maybe you grew up in church, maybe you're a person who, like I said earlier, man, you maybe grew up in church for a little bit, but kind of walked away for a season. or Maybe you're here and you're, or you're watching online and you're like, man, I... Honestly, I've not really been a part of a faith community. I've not really done, done that whole thing, not done the religious thing ever in my life. But, but here's what I know. No matter where you find yourself, you have a response to Jesus. Like you've already responded to Jesus in some way. And probably your response to Jesus, similar to mine, has its roots in kind of how you were brought up and what you were taught and kind of what you've seen other people do and say about Jesus. And so we, we've all responded to him in some way. And maybe your response is, and I'll, let me give you a few, and maybe you can put yourself in one of these. Maybe your response is like a respect. You, maybe you'd say, my response is respect. I, I appreciate his teaching. I've seen some, some good things happen kind of by people that say they're his followers. And there's some good things in the world that people that say they're followers of Jesus have done. And so, man, there's, I, there's a level of respect I have for Jesus and some of his teaching. Or, or maybe your response has been one of more apathy. And it's, it's one of these, you know what, I don't love him, I don't hate him, he's just not a part of my life. It's not, you're not like saying bad things about him, not throwing him under the bus, but you're not like loving on him either, because he's just not part of your life. And maybe you're watching online and you, you say that, yeah, that's kind of me. I'm not against him, I'm not really for him, it's just not part of who I am. Or maybe your response would be one of disgust. And it's okay to say that. It's okay to say that. It's okay to admit that. Maybe for you, a person or a church who claims to follow Jesus hurt you deeply. And so if you're honest, you don't want anything to do with Jesus because of what you've seen done in his name. But here's my question for you, whether you're watching online or you're here this morning, what if your picture of Jesus is wrong? What, what if the picture you have of Jesus, whether it's disgust, whether it's apathy, whether it's respect, what, what if, or maybe it's something else, what if your picture is wrong? Like, like, how tragic would it be if you walked away from a Jesus or a version of Jesus that really wasn't the Jesus of the Bible? How tragic would it be that, that you or I would walk away from Jesus and we would walk away from a counterfeit Jesus that doesn't even exist? How tragic would that be? What if, like the people in Mark chapter 1, we considered maybe a couple other responses? Maybe your response could be instead of respect or apathy or disgust. What if you, like the people in Mark chapter 1, like the fishermen, you found yourself knowing about Jesus, 
You found yourself with a, you have a relationship with Jesus. And what I mean by that is you've come to a place in your life where you have understood that you were a sinner and that you knew Jesus was your only way. So you believed he died and rose again and you ask him to save you. And, and so you're, you're a person who, man, you've maybe been around church. You've accepted Jesus as your savior. You have a relationship with him. At, you started one at some point in your life and, and you're just like those fishermen. And you're, you're not doing anything terrible. You're just kind of going about your day. But man, you're holding on to a few things that you trust in to make you okay. And, and you're holding on to a few things that, that are kind of your security. And Jesus comes to you and he says, follow me. Maybe for you, your response needs to be just obedience. Maybe it's you standing at the water holding your security, your net. Yeah, and you, you have a relationship with Jesus. You'll be in heaven with him one day, but you've been afraid to go really all in. You've, you've, you've not maybe trusted him all the way, and you've kind of held on to some things as your security, and you don't want to be too radical for him, and so you kind of just are trying, and you wouldn't say it this way, but it's kind of trying to play both sides of the fence, and Jesus is looking at you, and he's saying, hey, Drop your nets. Just follow me. And you're like Peter and Andrew, and you have to decide, is this my security? Is this what I'm placing my trust in? Is this my best life? Or is following Jesus, even if it's tough, the life I want to live so that one day at the end of my life, I'll say it was worth it? And so for you, your response, and this is something to consider, maybe you could just say, I'm just going to obey. I'm not going to respect. I'm not going to be apathetic. I'm not going to be disgusted. I'm, that's not going to be my response. I'm going to have the response of the fisherman, and I'm going to say, Jesus, you're worth it, and I'm going to obey. I'm going to quit playing games, and I'm going all in. I'm going to obey. Or maybe you're here, and, and you would say, man, I'm... I'm a person who has been kind of around religion. You're like the people in the synagogue that day. You, you've been around religion, and, and maybe you've even tried it a little bit here and there, but you've never really found it to fill the hole in your life. And so you, you've kind of put it on the back burner, and you try it every once in a while, Easter, Christmas, a few times in the year. But, but you've kind of just stiff-armed Jesus a little bit because it's just not been something that's been helpful, at least in your mind. And maybe you're like these people in the synagogue and you're beginning to listen and are beginning to ask yourself, did I walk away from a Jesus that really doesn't exist? Like, is there more to him? As I hear about him in Mark and as I study him a little bit, could it be that the Jesus that I'm stiff arming isn't really the Jesus of the Bible? Could it be that he does offer hope? Could it be that there is true forgiveness? Could it be that my life could really be different? Could it be? And if that's you, if you find yourself in that place, would you just lean in? I'm not asking you to buy into the whole thing. I'm not asking you to be like the fisherman yet and just drop everything and follow Jesus. But, but maybe you're grappling. And, and for you, it's just saying, hey, 
I'm just going to lean in because I may have walked away too soon. See, two statements that I think are so important. The first one is this. You will never regret saying yes to Jesus. You'll never regret it. You will never regret saying yes to Jesus. If, if you're the person that has the net in the hand and you just, oh, should I, shouldn't I? You'll never regret saying yes. And the second statement is you will never regret taking steps towards Jesus. If you're the person who's, you don't have a relationship with him, but you, you're like, man, I think I'm going to lean in a little bit. You won't regret that. You won't regret taking steps towards Jesus. Well, one of the simple ways that you can do that, and we, we introduced this last week, is, man, on your way out, make sure you pick up one of our Mark devotionals. And what we're doing this summer is we're walking through the book of Mark. And each week we're, we're reading a chapter, and then we're going to talk about it on Sunday. And so most of our gathering this week is going to be reading through Mark chapter 2. And then next week, we'll talk about it in church. And one of the best ways that you can lean in is by spending time in his word. And so I encourage you to pick up one of those and lean in. As we close today, I want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes. and Don't be distracted. Don't be on your phone. I know there's temptation to do that. Just, just listen. At the end of your life, and I, I think about this a lot for myself, at the end of your life, you're going to care about two relationships. You're going to care about your relationships with those you love most, your family. And you're going to care about your relationship with God the end of your life, we're all going to care about those two relationships. And so I want you to, I want you to put yourself in that place. At the end, it's always good to begin with the end in mind. When you're at the end of your life and you are leaning in to those two relationships, you don't have much time left. What would that person tell you today to do? with Jesus what would that person at the end of their life who will only care about two relationships what would that person tell you to do today to prepare best for that day and for some of you I think that person would tell you drop your nets and go all in And maybe that person would tell you as you are intrigued with Jesus and you're, is there more to it? You're asking yourselves these questions. I think that person would tell you today, lean in. Lord, I, I thank you for the book of Mark. I thank you for the, just the clarity, just the openness, the transparency that Mark and Peter, as they put this historical account of your life together. I thank you for that, Lord. And I pray as we are in a lot of different places, some of us are followers of you. Maybe we've been following you for a long time. Others of us are 
maybe coming back to faith. We, we were hurt by the church, and now we're, we're kind of trying it again. And, and maybe there's some of us here, or we're watching online, and, and it's just never been part of our life. But it's not an accident that we're here today. And God, I pray all over this auditorium, I pray even for those that are watching online, that we would make a decision to either lean in or if we have a relationship with you already, that we would drop our nets and obey. Because we can truly believe that we will never regret saying yes to you. We'll never regret taking a step towards you. And Lord, I pray that in this moment that you would work in our hearts, that you would make those steps very clear to us and that we would have the courage to obey you. And one day at the end of our life when we only care about a few relationships, when nothing else really matters, I pray that we would look back at this moment and be able to say, I did the right thing and my life and my eternity are different because of it. Thank you, Jesus saving us. Thank you for providing a way of salvation and influence. Help us to grab hold of it. In Jesus' name.